everybody. This is Griff. And this is Nora. And we are Miss Media, a Purple Door podcast that analyzes and discusses rape culture within pop culture. Join us every Friday for new episodes. Hey, folks. Griff here. Just want to let you all know that this podcast episode contains adult content that might not be appropriate for some of our younger listeners. Miss Media discusses different aspects of sexual violence that may be triggering for some listeners. Please make sure to always practice proper self-care when listening. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back, Anna. Hi. Thank you for having me back. I'm so glad that, you know, that I'm back. So thank you. Absolutely. I'm so this is our last Halloween episode. Our last spooky episode. But it's been so fun. I'm super excited. I'm so excited you've been able to join us for all of them. And I feel like we've been having some really good discussions. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I feel like I have been able to share my trauma when it comes to different you know, characters such as La Llorona and shout out to anyone that felt identified with with those kind of stories Um, and feel free to, you know, let us know what you have learned with this uh, podcast. I just feel like we need to have some spirits after talking about these spirits. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I've been holding that one. <laughs> you have the biggest smile as you're saying that. Yeah, I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear for do that. Do you one. like? Do you like write them down and you store them in a little in a little bank for use later? All your puns. Uh, that would make me way too organized. <laughs> they're just in your brain. Yeah, they're, they're just in her brain, just waiting to come out. Mm-hmm. So, what's our subject for today? What are we talking about? So today we're going to talk about spooky TV shows. Cool. That's definitely had like a resurgence. Yes. Like recently popular media, all these TV shows like what, like Stranger Things mm-hmm. is a real big one. What have y'all been watching? Um, I just got done. Oh, big heads up for this episode. Spoiler alert. So Absolutely. if you haven't seen any of these shows, they have a lot of spoilers in them that we're going to talk about. Yeah. So let's just real quick. I know we want to talk about The Haunting of Hill House, mm-hmm. Bly Manor, yes. Stranger Things, yes. um, and then some other stuff that's a little older. American Horror Story, Pretty Little Liars. So Buffy if the Vampire Buffy, Slayer. Sabrina. Um, Yes. Um, the new Sabrina. So yeah, be be warned if you are in the middle of any of those shows. We're going to talk about them a lot. So maybe finish them, come back, and we'll discuss it all together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so definitely a lot of critical thinking. Um, I have to say that Griff um, kind of not forced me, but really recommended like with exclamation very marks. very hard. Yes, to watch the I would, hunting I'd like to call the... it aggressive encouragement. It, no, there wasn't any aggression at all. It was just more like, hey, Anna, you must watch it, you know? But I don't see any aggression on that. You just um, have to. Yeah. So one of the shows that you recommended, Griff, um, was The Hunting of the Hill House. And I have to say that first I was You're like... Welcome. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I was just very hesitant one because I really don't have time to watch you know this tv shows and I I really didn't want to commit like for me I'm like if I'm going to commit I'm going to be watching this like within a day or two and that's kind of what I did um but let's talk about it like there's so many scenes in this movie that I felt very connected um and it really kind of just doing a lot of critical thinking um 
one i was a little hesitant because as you guys have heard on the other episodes i don't like doing or watching anything that has to do with horror movies i just don't um but griff really recommended that she know about my trauma and so she's like just watch it um but there was one specific um there, there's many of them so one of the things that i wanted to talk about was how children are being used in horror movies right so specifically with the hunting of the hill house um you know again spoiler alert uh, spoiler alert one of the things that um you are going to see a lot is this trauma bond that the siblings have um, with the house and also the parents um, but there is a specific scene in in the movie that one of the younger kids is saying, hey, I have a friend, you know, that I see all the time. And remind me the name, Miss Griff, because I know I'm forgetting the name of the little girl that was like Abigail, this, Abigail right? Mm -hmm. And so the little boy is like saying, you know, my friend Abigail and I play, you know, Abigail and His I. His name's Luke, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so and he's Luke, a twin in the in this, this movie yeah yes in the in the show yeah but i feel like um even at some point during the movie when he asked for permission for from the mom so um you know abigail can come and spend the night right so there's a scene that you see in there that the mom actually sees abigail in in, in the the bed um and so um you know they're like oh see i told you that was it was a real friend look she's here next to me um, but the idea whenever the child or the children are telling the parents, hey, dad, this is happening, like um, they're screaming, um, you know, in the middle of the night, like something is happening or someone is in my room and the father keeps telling the child, no, you just had a nightmare. Like, you know, it's OK, like you're safe. It was just a nightmare. Nothing happened. Look, there's no one here. And so I feel like a lot of times when children are telling us things we give them this idea or this notion that, hey, that's not real. Like you're a child and so you have this beautiful imagination and now you're creating this friend. Um, and we see that very common when it comes to like children of sexual assault, right? We tell them, no, you know, that that's not the way it is. You probably imagine something that wasn't there. And so we always like, we dismiss what that child has brought to an adult, a trusted adult. Right? So, so we don't validate their voices, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so it's kind of like we want children to be seen but not heard, right? That whole idea of they're a status symbol of having a child, but if your child is acting strange or a victim of sexual violence or has an imaginary friend or whatever, um, then that affects the image of your family kind of thing, right? Right. And imagine what that does to a child, right? Like a child saying, like, I'm telling you something that it like I'm screaming in the middle of the night. Like something has happened here that makes me scared and uncomfortable and I'm coming to you for validation and you're just like dismissing it, right? So I saw quite a few um, scenes in the movie that really made me reflect on that, that uh, when we see a child being stressed about that negative emotion, yeah. we kind of just dismiss it and we're like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to be here for a little bit and once they fall asleep or let me leave the light on so you'll be fine, right? Instead of, kind of digesting that emotion and letting them know that it's okay to have those emotions being scared and afraid it's an emotion that we all experience yeah and like i i mean like as a kid that would be you know i think that that's a healthy way to 
but if adults told their kids that um, I think about it'd be really nifty um, to have um, more movies where you see um, instead of dude who's an adult like he's a father figure he's or a brother or something like that who's older and is telling like the little boy especially the little boy to suck it up and not be scared but how many times do we know adults like I mean I you know everybody's been to one of those scary walks through things or unless you know if you have a heart condition don't do that um, but to those scary kind of things and people scream people like say well I'm gonna I just react by hitting somebody I know somebody like that who just reacts by hitting somebody it was me it was me <laughs> I absolutely was me but it was my reaction and so um but like yet adults are reacting in a natural way where they can't control it yet we want to make sure that children control their reactions to emotions who they're new human beings they're tiny humans like they they don't know and don't have the life experience that adults do so why are we trying to regulate children who uh, more than we then as adults we expect to be regulated yeah i i think that's such a an interesting reflection like the number of scary movies and tv shows that are themed around children and this feeling of powerlessness that you have as a child like Mm -hmm. children still have all of the same feelings and emotions and fears that adults do but they're heightened because like you said this is the first time they're experiencing a lot of these feelings yeah um so they have that in addition to the complete powerlessness of being a child you know you're you're at the mercy of all the adults around you you have to assume that they're right and that you know the things that they say are the truth so if you're a little kid and you're scared about something and someone an adult is telling you that's not scary then you have these conflicted feelings right you're like but I'm scared but you're telling me that I I shouldn't be I don't know I feel like we we really practice this like gaslighting of our of our children a lot um this idea that we invalidate their feelings um and it's such a a reflection again of um, like when we talk about survivors of sexual abuse, especially yeah. children. Um, I I was an investigator for CPS for a while um, before this, and it is not uncommon for parents to not believe their children in those yeah. scenarios. Honestly, it's m- more common than not. More often, parents do not believe the children than they do, especially when it comes to like a family member is abusing the child more. It was, I was always prepared to talk to the parents and have them call their children a liar. Like it happens all the time. Um, And I think that that's like a real problem in our society. That's, you know, obviously a thing because so many of our horror stories are based on that fact children not being believed all these scary things are happening to this child but it must be in their imagination i mean that's the scariest thing possible you having constant trauma and nobody believing no one believes you well and additionally like even the perpetrator is saying no one is going to believe you right so then the parent now validates what the the perpetrator is saying to them right so i think utilizing that tool where that perpetrator knows that no one is going to believe this poor innocent child going to the parents and again that validation you know that you know there's no point of saying anything because no one is going to believe me and this person is telling me already that no one is going to believe me yeah like using the um in the new uh, spoiler alert in the new bly manor 
um, show on Netflix and it was so good. I like have so many things to say, but like there's two kids, right? They're a brother and sister. And um, there's a scene where this little girl is sleepwalking and the au pair, Danny, is like trying to get her and like, and then brings her back to bed and, and the au pair's uh, talking to somebody and is like, you know, she, why is she going near the lake? She really hates the lake. And her brother responds with, um, who is being possessed by an abusive man. Um, spo- like I said, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and so, and it, and he's like, well, why would anybody be afraid of a lake? As this possessed man, his child is saying it. And it's just a body of water. And Danny, the au pair, responds with, well, she's told me that many times, so why is she going near it? And the little brother who's possessed is saying, well, she lies. Mm-hmm. How many times? You're right. Like, how many times do we hear that in movies, in media? Kids lie. There's this yeah. constant theme that kids lie. But when it comes to trauma and stuff like that, are kids able to really have the imagination of that darkness to make it up? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a question as adults we need to be asking ourselves. Absolutely. I, I think that there needs to be more of this culture of valuing the voices of our children. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, You know, we've worked with youth for, for a while, uh, Griff and I both, and um, we've seen how whenever we talk to these students, how much their feelings are not validated. They absolutely feel like people, adults, don't listen to them, don't care about their their emotions or their ideas or their opinions. And that's because, you know, we haven't. We haven't shown them that we care, that there is a space for them, um, and that they, you know, they're little, they're just like younger humans. They, mm-hmm. they have, their voice should have the same impact as an adult, um, but we dismiss it so often. And this is something, um, Anna, you were mentioning before we uh, were recording, but how often we tell the children themselves, you're lying, you are a liar. And imagine being, you know, six or seven years old and you know you're telling the truth about something, but an adult who is always right, because adults are always right, an adult is telling you, no, you're lying. That is literally, that's gaslighting. Like Mm -hmm. in this child's brain, they now have these conflicting ideas. They're like, I feel like I know what's real, but this person that's always right is telling me that it's not. And I, I, it's just such a common practice to gaslight our children. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, these horror movies really capitalize on that. The shows, you know, yeah. this this idea that being a child means being powerless and voiceless. I have to say, though, in these latest shows that I've watched, whether it's been like the chilling adventures of Sabrina or... Um, uh the Bly Manor and the haunting of Bly Manor and whatnot I have noticed a lot of healthy relationships and healthy talks about like women empowerment which I'm like here for like yes like I'd like to like talk about a little bit of the positives in that and some of the ideas like um there's a show called Riverdale, which is loosely based off of the Archie comic books. Right. And there's this really cool article. Um, it's called The Casual Righteousness, The Feminist Evolution of Teen Dramas. So um, it's by Catherine Vander Volk. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, but it goes into talking about these different shows and how they're really bringing in 
empowerment of women's perspective. So you have in Riverdale where uh, young ladies are being uh, shamed for their sexuality. And so then you have Betty and Veronica who stand up to it and call it out and said, I'm owning like owning this. And I think that's really great. And versus some of the problematic things I saw as a child, like also Sabrina, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, she's literally fighting a patriarchal like um, uh, school. Like uh, the literal like embodiment of patriarchy. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> it's so cool, and it's and it's um it's so great. And spoiler alert: she ends up becoming like the queen of hell, and like finds a way to fix everything. Yeah, and like saves the day, and like she's also an ally for her non-binary friend who's going through a lot of questioning. And it's just like a really just beautiful show that all these characters are flushed out beautifully, whether it's the haunting of Hill House, whether it's Bly Manor, whether it's the chilling adventures of Sabrina, where they, we have these characters, even if they're villains, they're flushed out. Like Bly Manor has a great example of what domestic violence actually looks like without a lot of the physicality. So there's gas. That. Yeah, there's a lot of gaslighting. Um, there is privilege involved. There is this idea of power and control and him losing control and being like, um, I don't know what was wrong with me. I'm so sorry. I would never do that again. And then she takes him back because she loves him. Like, let's like talk about that. Like she really does love him. And so she takes him back. And then this guy ends up taking advantage of her. He gets murdered. And ends up taking advantage of her, possesses her body, and then drowns her. So she has to spend forever with him. Wow. Mm. Wow. That really gets into, like, abuse dynamics. Yeah. And that's so interesting because all we ever talk about is, you know, how to make media better and more nuanced and more interesting. And it really feels like, cause there are so many examples of like domestic violence and abuse in the media that are so misleading that are so like you're mentioning, like that are just purely focused on like the physical abuse aspect. And that, and whenever that's all we see um, that we start to believe that that's all that abuse is. Right. So exactly. really going into those dynamics and the nuance and it's not just black and white and showing that in media I think it's just so important for formulating our ideas of what what those things look like and in Bly Manor they showed an exact mirror opposite of what healthy relationships looks like uh, between Owen and Hannah Gross or between Danny and Jamie okay which is I loved because I got to see a healthy lesbian relationship and they were the center point for this entire story. I love that. In the 80s. Right. Like, how, like, that was so empowering to me. And, like, thinking about shows that were scary where I felt first empowered and seen was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Like, she was this bad bee who went and, like, took care of demons and, like, no apologies. And then we had Willow, who was a bisexual character. Yeah. Like, that's, like, awesome. Like, so sometimes media does get it right. For sure. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and that doesn't mean we can't be critical of it. 
but I do think we get to celebrate when they it, it happens <laughs> when we get what we want. For I sure. I also think like on the hunting of the Hill House, you know, of course, um, I just watched the last episode, but like one of the last scene, you know, that I feel one that the trauma that all of them experienced, right? Yeah. They were able to basically just kind of put it on the side and not really deal with it until they became adults until one of their sisters or the youngest sister uh, committed suicide. So that's when everybody uh, comes into the house and basically they're now dealing with all their trauma all at once, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I thought it was really um, interesting that they brought it up was that one of the characters um, was able to, Stephen, which was the oldest brother, was able, he was basically he wrote a book, right? Mm -hmm. Multiple books regarding different houses or places that were scary. And so that's how he was able to deal with this trauma. And he always found like a scientific way to disprove that there were any spirits in the mm -hmm. house or so there, there will be um, different scenes that you're going to see that he's at this house trying to prove this wrong with, with his um, wife and that her husband had passed. Um, but one of the things that I remember in the last scene is having that conversation with his dad, right? Oh, so the yeah. uh, siblings, so they find one of the siblings inside the house and he is literally dying. So they have to take him to the hospital. So two of the sisters um, are taking um, the brother out, out of the house and trying to get him to the hospital. And then, I don't know, I felt like the, the dad had an adult son but the emotion that I sense in, in that scene was that that child that had that unresolved trauma uh, wanted those answers, right? So then the father comes back to the house and is basically showing what he saw um, when his mom committed suicide, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's walking through the scene of what dad went through mm -hmm. um and he was able to identify like why didn't you told me this right like i had so much anger towards you and towards my mom and like you know there was just so much trauma that i was unable to talk about it um but even with steve like he talks about and you're gonna see throughout the the scenes that he's married he's happily married but something happens in the relationship where they're trying to have children right mm. and so what he does so he's not duplicating the trauma with his own family he basically gets a vasectomy mm -hmm. when he's in college um so he can um, not repeat the same mistakes that his parents have made um but i found that really interesting that he took responsibility you know for his own you know behavior basically um and he didn't want to produce that trauma with his family mm -hmm. um but being able to talk about one of the things that you see on that scene as well is where he basically comes clean to his wife right like saying yeah. hey i have dealt with this for so long and the way that i dealt with it was by having this vasectomy thinking that that would cure it right but i've been living with this spirits or this uh, memories of this trauma and i haven't been able to deal with it right so you see um and i know that in other um, podcasts we have talked about that being vulnerable right mm -hmm. so you see that at that point they the whole family becomes so vulnerable um and being very um 
they have open communication with that significant other. You also see the same thing with his sister, yeah. um, where she's talking to her husband about how she cheated six years ago mm-hmm. um, with the wine glass or the martini right. glass or I can't. Yeah, remember. there was a, a dude that you keep seeing yeah. through different scenes that he's carrying like a glass one, and I, I kept thinking like, what happened, right? But you learn throughout again spoilers alert all over the place on this. Um, <laughs> You see that she committed this, um, you know, I don't want to say crime, but this like she cheated on adultery on on this marriage. Right. And so she had this view of the perfect wife with the perfect kids. And so you see that they spend more time on the man than the woman. Right. Um, And so I I found that that was really interesting to see where they come clean or they're able to tell, like, this is what I've been carrying with me all the time with with their significant other. But it doesn't seem to me that they're seen as they're weak. It's more like I have come to terms that my trauma, I'm facing it now and therefore I need to do something about it. And it has destroyed my future relationships. Yeah, like in in Blind Manor, Owen, uh, one of the main characters, he's like one of my favorite. He's such a great written character. His kindness and his empathy is his strength. And really showing that for a man, I was like, yes, like, can we get more of this? This is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And having that in there where he is in love with this woman, but he never at any point in time makes her feel uncomfortable or like pushes it or anything. He puts, he leaves it up to her for where she is comfortable and for what steps she wants to take and understanding that she has a traumatic background as well from um, a failed marriage. And so like, he's just like this wonderful character and I would love to see more men in that because there have been men like that in my life. Oh yeah. And so I think seeing the positivity in that would validate those positive men allies and also um, show young boys like, yes, be kind to women you love. Doesn't matter if it's romantic or platonic. And also the guy who was like the hunky guy, like the good looking guy. Yes, he was abusive. But, um, you know, like they writ- writ- wrote him so well that um he was ugly like and when they did editing his his face like his smile was scary and creepy like it was really cool like i i just can't recommend bly the haunting of bly manor enough yeah, and I recommend the hunting of the, <laughs> of the Hill House. But that also brings me to Stranger Things, oh, right? When yes. we talk about, like, the male figure, like when we talk about Eleven um, and the relationship that, you know, she has with, with this kid. Mm-hmm. So I, I know, Miss Nora, you have watched um, Stranger Things, so let's talk about Why don't that. you tell me For about sure. Hopper? Yes. So there are a ton of things that I want to talk about for Stranger <laughs> Things. I love Stranger Things. It's a great, great show. Um, so when it comes to like uh, masculinity in Stranger Things, um, I think that it shows a really wide range of, you know, ways to be a man. So like we start out with the first season, um, Hopper, the, the police officer, the detective. Um, he starts, I mean, he's obviously very like, 
he's he's a guy who wants to get his stuff done he however he can there are multiple scenes where he like uses aggression to to his advantage you know Mm -hmm. he's a very traditionally masculine man um and then it's whenever we start to get into his relationship with Eleven, because, you know, he ends up adopting her and all that kind of stuff. Um, it seems to, for me, it really reflects the real life relationship that a lot of fathers have with their daughters. And this like this idea, because, I mean, there's multiple times where he he's so angry with her. He breaks down the door because she doesn't want to, like, talk to him. She's mad at him. She locks the door. He breaks it down to talk to her. Um, there's a point where Eleven is uh, dating, or I don't know if they're dating um, quite yet, but uh, the boy Mike, who is played by Finn Wolfhard, who I love so much because um, he's <laughs> in the It movies, too. But um, when Eleven and Mike have ha- are having a relationship, at some point... Hopper um, threatens Mike who's like what 13 in the show he like gets in his face and he threatens him and he locks the car door and he screams in his face and I remember watching that scene and it like boiled my blood because that's the kind of thing that like happens like there's this weird um there's this weird idea you know we've all heard the you know whenever the um boy comes to the house to take the daughter on a date uh the dad is cleaning his shotgun and he he says stuff like you know well i know how men are so i'm just protecting you right you're calling yourself out there like you're setting you're calling yourself out and like on how damaging you were to women how you treat women you're like saying i recognize that i am terrible to women and i know that that's how this boy's gonna be to you that is and it's so backwards it's so backwards and it really um think about how 11 was never a part of their conversation it was just between hopper Mm, and mike they the two of them were were fighting and arguing he you know hopper was screaming at this boy about 11 where was Eleven in all this? You know, this is her life. This is her life that they're talking about. So why why is it that, um, you know, the men are the ones who are having the conversation? And like that happens yeah. in, in, in real life, you oh, know? Yeah. Dad is like, oh, I need to have a talk with this boy about how you treat my daughter kind of thing. And like in reality, I think having a, a real conversation with, you know, your uh, future son-in-law or whoever is fair, you know, get to know the person. But if it turns into like a threat, like I'm going to shoot you if you do anything with her, where is where is her agency in all of this that or i'm gonna sexually i hear the one that like whatever you do to her i'm gonna do to you and think about the implication of that well and 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 the adult having that conversation with another child like if it was look at in a different scene or like having an adult with with a child that there wasn't a relationship i think that that would be I mean, that would be an assault to a child. Yeah, yeah. and like, on, on on top of that, like, you're saying that rape is okay as um, punishment. Punishment, and I mean, even that's that's such a common, a commonly held idea in our society. Like, how often are we talking about criminals, people who do bad things, and we're like, well, they're gonna get what they deserve in prison. And we know what that implication is. And Mm -hmm. the fact is that sexual assault is not a punishment for anything. It should never happen to anyone. But the way that we say it so casually as like a casual (sighs) threat. Or as a joke. Or 
as a joke. Absolutely. Um, I really think that the relationship, I think that the relationship between Hopper and Eleven is realistic. And I think that it illustrates a very common dynamic between fathers and daughters. Um, And I think that it's an unhealthy one. I think that that is an unhealthy dynamic in which the father feels so it's, it's, it's one thing to be protective of your children. Um, but the same the same uh, protection is usually not afforded to little boys, Mm-mm. right? How, af- how often are um, dads cleaning their shotguns when a girl comes over to pick up a boy for a date? Like it's it's all about this like control of, of a, a, a little girl, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, but speaking to uh, when, you know, talking about masculinity and stranger things, I don't know if y'all remember Bob from Stranger Things. He was was amazing. Season two, uh, played by Sean Astin, who is just my favorite actor, and I love him so so much because he is Samwise Gamgee to me forever (laughs) and always. Um, But his character in throughout that uh, the season is so genuinely kind and loving and empathetic and literally nothing but those things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a beautiful example of healthy, positive masculinity. Like that's what it looks like. It looks like being protective while also being caring, not an aggressive kind of way, but just being there for someone. And that's what he was like. He was the support the whole time. Um, And, you know, he supported uh, Joyce, right? Um, um, The mom. He supported her through all of her trauma that she was going through, um, and I think that he was a really, really great example of that. A, a lot of the, a lot of the men in Stranger Things have very interesting. Uh, it really speaks to society, you know. Like so, Steve. Oh man, there's so many things. Oh, Steve. So in the in the mm. beginning of the first season, Will's brother Jonathan. Um, he he's like a little photographer. He's always taking pictures, documenting things, right? There is a point where um, Nancy, the the you know older sister, she is at a party with um, Steve, her boyfriend at the time, and she is upstairs, and um, the window is open, and you see them through the window start to undress. Outside, there is a scene where uh, Jonathan, the camera boy, is peeking through the bushes and he sees what's happening through the window and he starts taking pictures. He starts taking picture of Nancy in her underwear. Yes. Um, And later, you know, uh, Steve ends up discovering those pictures on Jonathan's camera and he breaks the camera. He like, he, he loses it at um, Jonathan. And it feels like the, the way that the show is framed, it's attempting to frame Steve as this aggressive, you know, he's, he's the, the, alpha male aggressive masculine kind of guy um while jonathan is the you know the poor like meek kind of person and you're supposed to be on his side Mm -hmm. but i would say that it's completely justified to destroy someone's camera if you find unconsenting pictures of a person on them especially the person you're dating yeah and i can imagine that you know steve would have like okay what other pictures you've taken right not just Mm -hmm. these are the ones that we have that I catch you with. So this one tool, I have to destroy it, you know, so you don't do this again. So I feel like um, Steve was more like, let me protect others, not just, you know, the person that I love, but other people of you doing that. So I, I definitely can can see that with 
seeing that scene mm-hmm. and remember why would you be hiding by the bushes when you're taking a picture without someone's consent and it was at nighttime too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it was not expected there were a lot of never... strikes against this yes this decision making process and then you know nancy and jonathan do end up dating later on and that's already like you know this is where their relationship started was him taking un- like non-consensual pictures of her yeah. through a window um and even throughout the the rest of the series when they're together their relationship is not healthy it's mm-hmm. tumultuous he's controlling it's it's very like he he because they're reporters together and he is often like trying to like tell her don't do that you're not allowed to do that don't do that and she's like i'm gonna do whatever i want nancy's also like, a great character i like nancy's <laughs> yeah. character yeah a lot and you know they they end up characterizing steve um later in the show he they definitely give him um more of a role more of a, a caregiver role um and they really expand on his masculinity i think and and the positive aspects of it i have never felt more emotional i think for a tv show than when um she comes out to steve yes robin robin comes like i loved robin's character um i related to her a lot and when watching that scene i was like and he just loved her like and it wasn't it wasn't a romantic love like he talks about like he he likes her as a crush on her right yeah but then she comes out to him and she it sounds like she hasn't been able to come out to anybody Mm -hmm. And she trusts him with this big secret. In the 80s. In the 80s. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like it's, you know, not to say that it's amazing now. Yeah. It, but it's much better. Yeah. Um, but, like, that takes a great man for you to trust to come out to where it could be a dangerous situation or the reaction. Because exactly. you don't know how somebody's going to react. And he reacted in the best way. In I the- best way love love that scene i think that it really his character um made such a great uh the, the character development like really really uh put him like he he was written to be such a well-rounded man like a, a good a, a just like a good ally and I, I i agree i think that that scene um because knowing throughout the season that he obviously like has feelings for her like mm-hmm. he he thinks that she is amazing <laughs> and whenever he asks her you know do you want to date me she's like well no because of this and he is so okay he's so accepting and he still loves her regardless and i do think that that's such a great point because we you know even within recent years we have had um i mean people hurt other people for rejecting them like people hurt women when they get rejected and a lot of the times it is that a similar situation where uh, the woman is like actually I'm not straight and I'm not interested. And mm-hmm. that becomes a reason to punish that woman. Um, so being able to see that positive representation just feels so good. feels so good. I also, like, I think it's important to talk about, like, the relationship that they had with Eleven. You know, at some point, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's the second 
um, series mm-hmm. and that she one of the end um, scenes is when she's like in dancing right with uh, Mike mm-hmm. and so Max which is uh, her, one of her friends her best friend Max uh, is so cool she's so like cool. the bomb I like I, I love her I just want to be Max <laughs> I know but she's like helping Eleven to like hey it's okay like you know boys are, are mean and but again the idea that she's even saying like well you know he's mean because he likes you or like Mm -hmm. she's telling now 11 which is you know in quote unquote not like hasn't really grown up on on this culture she hasn't had like the societal impression but also why does she think boys are mean if they like you it's because of her brother and her father that's right that's a whole subplot is max's abusive household Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah Yeah, but she finds uh, the safe safety within yes. this group of, of young yes. kids, right? And they take you to this um, adventure of all these little things that are happening in the 80s. Um, one thing that I connected with the Haunting of the House Hill is one episode where... Um, uh, Theodore is dancing right and mm-hmm. she's like jamming like she's just having so much fun and there's like the tv it's like a box it's like you know from the 80s it's like all that's dirt and then she's just like enjoying it right and it really brought me back to one of the things that movies uh, does so well that it gives you this notion of nostalgic right that mm-hmm. you remember uh like for me that's what stranger things does right like yeah. the video games and you had that as well with the hunting of the hill house right mm-hmm. um but there was a scene that i see theo that is dancing and just jamming and i i can't remember the song that is playing but she's so into it right like i remember being that age and just thinking that i was just like a movie star because i was just identifying uh, but my star was Gloria Trevi, which, uh, as I was discussing with with you guys early, it's the equivalent of um, what would be the queen, right? Um, so for me, this song was um, "Quiero Quiero Bailar con el Pelo Suelto," which mm-hmm. is like my hair is gonna be out and I'm just gonna be dancing. But I feel like horror movies really gives you that sense that you can feel that connection, that you feel that. You know, I am part of that. Whatever it is, I, I'm part of it. So there is, and also like family, like gathering family together, you know, those specific things that are, are staple to our society. I feel like a lot of this horror movies really brings that back as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some good things with horror movies. Oh, for uh, sure. So, there's you know, good th- there's a few of them. I a few. You know, talking about all this, like Stranger Things, Sabrina, we, the, you know, Haunting of Hill House in Blind Manor we have so much uh, such good representation now like we need to keep working towards that because like thinking about some of the stuff I grew up with Pretty Little Liars I was addicted to I knew exactly what you were going to say Pretty Little Liars that show is redonkulous (laughs) the the first season like a 16 year old girl is dating her teacher and he's 23 years old that's not dating oh no (laughs) dating i'm air quotes (laughs) um and it's like you know it's the whole show it's framed as like well it's true love and my parents don't understand me and that's all but you find out four seasons later that the teacher knew the whole time that she was 16 like there is um a point in the first Mm -hmm. season where he's like shocked to find out that he that she's his student like it's supposed to be oh I had no idea that you were my student 
But you find out in season four that, no, he knew the whole time. And then they end up getting married. Spoiler alerts for Pretty Little Liars, yeah. I guess. But they, and they end could, up getting married. Yeah, and they can never go to adults. <sighs> so just like thinking about the way movies and media and TV shows are, so many of them, especially geared towards the teen age group, are really trying to get into the nuance. You know, not everything is black and white and... um really trying to understand emotional manipulation and the way that gaslighting looks in relationships. I think that media now is doing so much better. We still got work to do, but you know, it's not pretty little liar season one. Yeah. Like (laughs) I want to read back from, uh, cite this article again. Um, there's a really cool quote, um, through both Mary and I considered, uh, though both Mary and I consider pretty little liars, a guilty pleasure the show's sex scandals and screaming matches spoke more to our experience than we were willing to admit at the time i was experiencing what i now recognize as sexual harassment by a fellow member of the track team but unlike a the runner was wasn't a faceless force of evil i laughed at the jokes he cracked in english class i enjoyed listening to the songs he wrote and emailed me I liked texting him until I fell asleep with my phone in my hand. Most of all, I liked that he noticed me, even if it meant staying quiet while he touched my butt now and again. So like the, and so she goes on to say the liars didn't tell the authorities either because doing so would force them to reveal their most shameful secrets, which only mounted with each season. Suffering in silence made me feel similarly complicit as a conspirator in my own harm. Wow. I I love that because it really, it illustrates why this is important, why we are talking about all of this. Because growing up watching Pretty Little Liars as a 16-year-old, if you are experiencing those things, if you're experiencing harassment from an older person, a 23-year-old, but your only um, knowledge of that happening is from a show that romanticizes it and makes it look beautiful and and sweet and charming, that's, you know, going to formulate your beliefs. Or that you should date the girl that's abusive to you just because, like, you might be the both, both out characters in the school yeah like Paige um in Pretty Little Liars was so abusive to start with yeah and like uh to Emily like like dunks her head underwater at some point in time and I was like ridiculous I was like this is not what young queer girls need to see as what healthy relationship goes and they go on to have like a relationship for like until the end i think mostly and then she ends up with an even more abusive person yeah um allison spoiler alert yeah i was like so wait you're you went from one abusive person to another with your character yep and give her a healthy relationship right like that like you only have one queer character give her a healthy relationship like our our LGBTQ plus family should be like it shouldn't be a chore to have to find healthy positive representation, um, and it's getting better. Yeah, but Still I watched Bly Manor. Yeah, but I watched it because there was a gay character in there, right? Because I felt represented. 
because we'll watch it. Like I know the LGBTQ plus community will watch it if there is somebody who represents us in it. Like Winona Earp. Oh my God, such a great show. Please go watch it. <laughs> um, and it's like Buffy the Vampire uh, Slayer went to the West. Yeah. <laughs> and so really cool. Um, but yeah, like if there are representation of uh, my community in that, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. And and 13 year olds who are in the community are going to watch it. Because, They're going to be affected by it. Yeah, because that's what we want to see ourselves. Yeah. We want to yeah. feel like we are included as a part of this culture because we are. We're yeah. here. We're yeah. Here. And just like I spoke about that one scene of that little girl going crazy, you know, I like I even though she was a different color, like I experienced that emotion of yeah. like joyful like even though for me the movie was a little scary it was very scary um <laughs> that one moment really like captivated me and i wanted to know more about her story yeah. and i thought i really think that horror movies in the future are doing things right and yeah. just like you guys have mentioned you know there's so much more that we can do and you know the fact is that at the end of the day if you put characters that we can identify we're gonna watch them yep. so um if any hollywood um directors are hearing <laughs> this yeah. just let it you know any writers put, yes please put more more characters like just ourselves normal people yeah, yeah we'll yeah. we'll tell you what to do we'll tell y'all how to do it absolutely miss <laughs> nora will for sure i will <laughs> This has been so fun. I've loved talking to y'all about, you know, horror. I love horror. So this has been a really, really awesome conversation. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining yes. us for all Thank of you those. for having me, guys. Yes. I'll be back soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Thank y'all so much for listening. And we'll talk to you again later. Have a spooktacular day. Bye, guys. <laughs>